Moncrief on News Talk. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone. The internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. Yes, Simon Tierney joins me uh, with, with an increasingly dramatic opening as well, as he always does this time on Monday to look at the invention that has impacted the world greatly. And this week, Simon, you're looking at the passport. Are you a holder, Tom? Do you know what? My passport is out of date, Simon. Well, I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, they're all gathering yeah. dust at this stage, aren't they? Went out of date in March and I was, uh, since then, I've been thinking I must renew it. And then I just keep, keep thinking, why? Why must why you bother? So, um, first time in decades I haven't had one. Well, the Irish passport is one worth having. It is officially the sixth most powerful passport in the world. There are 193 countries in the world and the Irish passport will give you visa-free access or visa-on-arrival access to 186 of those countries. Wow. That's fairly impressive all the same. Um, who, are there passports ahead of us? We're sixth. Who's ahead of us? Well, the Japanese is the most powerful. Um, that'll get you into all but two countries. Um, I'm trying to think now because the inevitable well, next question is what are those two countries that aren't going yeah. to allow you in? I would imagine it'll be the likes of North Korea. Um, and that. But um, Ireland is ahead of the US and the UK, which are joint seventh, one place behind us. Um, that may change with Brexit, of course. Great. It's lovely to be ahead of people, isn't it, Stephen? You know, it doesn't really seem to me that much. Just to be sixth as opposed to seventh, it's great. Um, where did they come from? Where, where, what's the origin of the passports? Well, it's a kind of a French-British construct. It, uh, the earliest surviving reference to a safe conduct, or as the French called a soft uh, conduit um, document, appears during the reign of Henry V. And um, there was an act of parliament in 1414, which meant that Henry V was able to write a written plea a letter is essentially what it was, um, Tom. And this was called a passport because right up until the, well, I think until today, I think French remains the international language of diplomacy officially. Um, but certainly before the beginning of the 20th century, French was very much the dominant language in any sort of um, international negotiation. Um you know, the the Eurovision being a classic example of that. Um, yeah, well. But it was called the passport because port, uh, port is the French for door or gate, which would be the gates of a city and pass from passage. So it was about offering passage through the gates of a city, um, essentially. is Now, the earliest, the oldest, I should say, extant, passport um, that we have is um, a passport for a gentleman by the name of Sir Thomas Littleton. And it's an extraordinary document. Um, it looks like a letter. It's dated 18th of June 1641 and it's signed by King Charles I. And it licensed this gentleman uh, quote unquote, to pass out of this our realm into the part beyond the seas. Isn't that romantic? Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I'm looking at you, sent me a photograph, but it's gorgeous, as you say, a document. Um, 
And and so it, it looks in pristine condition. It's it's absolutely amazing. Um, so that was the idea. It was kind of like almost a safe conduct pass, wasn't it? Exactly. And, you know, it's worth bearing in mind at this point, Tom, that there were an incredibly small number of people who were doing international travel. This, The earliest passports, they were for negotiations. They were for diplomats. They were to... Uh, they were a gentleman's agreement between the rulers of two lands that said that I'm sending this guy to negotiate on my behalf. Please give him safe passage. He's not going to cause a war by his presence in your country. This is organised. To be honest, in some ways, the earliest passports, they were more like what we would describe as visas today, really. Um, The modern idea of the passport is something which is very much a product of global attempts to limit immigration. So this is a very different understanding of what a passport is. And it came out of two things. Firstly, it came out of the enormous rise in immigration into the United States in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And secondly, out of World War One. So what happened, Tom, is... Um, anyone who's been to New York, and I know you have, um, is that you will be aware of Ellis Island, one yeah. of the great shrines to immigration in um, America. And this is where thousands and thousands of immigrants first landed um, in the, 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 the land of the free, the land of the brave. And initially, in the late 19th century at least, they were given a cursory um, health check, they were questioned and they were either sent back to where they came from or they were allowed into the United States. And of course, none of those people had a passport. We begin to see a limit on this type of immigration. First of all, in 1875, Tom, when prostitutes and convicts were first disallowed from entering the United States. And then the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which is which is an extraordinary um, piece of uh, racist legislation in the late 19th century in, in America, which basically banned Chinese people from coming into America. And then after World War I, we've got the League of Nations, which of course was a kind of a precursor to the United Nations mm. and set up after World War I. And they championed this idea of uh, a passport and that's those two things kind of married together brought into existence the 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 slowly growing p- popularity of the passport as a means of controlling immigration very good a listener is asking and I don't know if you're on the spot but would David Attenborough would he be the best traveled human being in history that's a, it's a good question um, uh, to be honest I'd say the most traveled one of the most traveled people in history is a person who doesn't actually own or never has owned a passport and that's Queen Elizabeth uh, yes and she doesn't actually have a passport she doesn't she's never had a passport she has diplomatic immunity so she can literally say my face is my, my passport really. just look at the money Yes, exactly. Um, So then the development to to the kind of the documents that we we carry today, which is your photograph and stuff, that that was a gradual process, wasn't it, to get to that that level? Yeah, I love this, Tom, because um, before the 1920s, we're talking about a short period of time uh, in the late teens to the early 20s when passports didn't have the square photograph, the portrait, which we take for granted now. And that's such an important part of a passport, because otherwise, how do you prove that this document belongs to you? 
So the initial passports relied on descriptions instead. So they would have details about physical features such as height, eye colour, shape of face, complexion features. So a typical one might read forehead, shallow, nose, diminutive, eyes far apart. And a lot of people didn't like that. Of course you wouldn't like it. <laughs> Holy moly. Also, I mean, also no, one man's small, small eyes might what? be another eye's large eyes. You know, it's very subjective, yeah. surely. God, answers to the name Barreler. I mean, it's just <laughs> not nice, is it? All right, we got past that. Um, so then our own relationship with passports in Ireland is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's right in the 20s, just when passports coming into vogue that Ireland is is asserting itself as a nation state. Well, you can imagine anything to do with this sort of stuff is very, very thorny in our history. Um, we have trouble with flags. Passports was a big deal in the 1920s. So in 1922, when the Irish Free State came into being, Tom, from 23, one year later, we were issuing our own passports from here in Dublin. And the passports, they were issued by the Governor-General, who was the Queen's representative in Ireland. And uh, Sorry, not the Queen, the King, King George V um, uh, at that time. And the authorities in London wanted the Free State passports to say British subject on them, which of course was a very controversial idea for people who had just got a free state and Mm. the free state government put citizen of the Irish free state and of the British Commonwealth of Nations on it instead. Consular officials, British consular officials didn't like this to the point that people who were carrying a free state uh, passport were sometimes not um, admitted uh, into places if they were carrying a free state and not a British passport. So it meant that it was very tricky. The Irish passport was not powerful. Um, It would often have to be um, supplemented by a British passport if you wanted to guarantee access. Eventually, there was a compromise made, and this was initially suggested by Desmond Fitzgerald, who was the Irish Minister for Foreign Affairs. And... um, he, what he suggested eventually went on it in 1930 and lasted for seven years. And what he wrote was that the passport would describe the bearer as one of his majesty's subjects of the Irish free state. And um, that lasted until 37, well, actually 39. The Irish constitution was written in 37, but it was adopted in 39. And then, of course, in that famous document, um, Ireland, became Ireland as opposed to the free state and that's what has been on our passports ever since. Citizen of Ireland, you sent me also a photograph of one of those free state passports, a beautiful thing. I wonder if there are many of them going around, if listeners uh, have held on to their grandparents. Uh, Will there have been many of them in circulation back then? I don't think so. Tom, again, very few Irish people would have been travelling at that time, but certainly there would have been a a certain amount. I haven't come across any physical copies of it, but I know that there are some out there for sure. Uh, A listener, Clement, is pointing out that the most travelled person is obviously Santa Claus. And yeah, there's no disagreeing with that. Very true, very true. I think... 
when Hillary Clinton finished her stint as US Secretary of State, she talked about how much she had travelled. And that position is one of the most travelled. I think she'd been to nearly every country in the world when she'd finished her time at the State Department as America's top diplomat. That and the Queen, that's what I'm going for anyway. All right. Um, I'm very impressed. You know, you only get to go around once to see 191 of the 193 uh, countries. That's fairly impressive all the same, isn't it? It is. But of course, it's worth remembering that uh, if you had a passport in the 1920s, there were far, far fewer countries in the world. This was at the end of the Age of Empire when a lot of countries of were were already coloured pink or, or whatever. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, surely we've never had more opportunities um, to display yeah. a passport. 193 countries. That must be extraordinary if someone from the 1920s was, w- w- was yeah. able to see that now. 193 and counting, I'd say. Simon, thank you very much for that. As always, Simon Tierney there on on, um, Stuff That Changed the World Today. It was the passport. And if we find a free state one, if any of you has one in your house, let us know, please. 53106. Moncrief on News Talk.